Strange Brew Podcast Season 1, Episode 124. We have a lot of drama, 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 drama in the NBA. Giannis Game Ball Gate got underway on Wednesday. We wondered if there would be any extra juice, any extra run with this Pacers matchup, given what happened in the in-season tournament, given what happened in Indiana earlier this year, and the Bucks being 0-2 against this young, upstart, kind of cocky Pacer team. Well, things escalated in a big, big way on Wednesday at Pfizer Forum. Giannis set a record. The Pacers stole the game ball. These two teams play again in two weeks, and they play back-to-back. They're going to need security at those games, stiff security. We're going to break all of that down in a blog about that on Thursday. We'll, of course, talk about the Packer-Buccaneer game at Lambeau Field on Sunday. Baker Mayfield is making his third straight start at Lambeau in December with a third different team. And we hope the results are the same as they were in 2021 with the Browns and 2022 with the Rams. Injury report actually pretty promising for the Packers heading into the weekend. We'll get to that little bit of college hoops in there as well. Both the Badgers and Marquette had kind of uninspiring wins last night. But it's probably finals week and we're still knocking on the door really of the full thrust of the conference season. We'll discuss that a little bit and we'll make some picks. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's high. Yes, the Brewers yes. win. Yes. Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown. Wisconsin record-breaking run. We're gonna smash up the middle, base hit the center. Here comes Gomez around third. A throw, and the Brewers win. Here's the snap. He looks. He throws. It's and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive gets inside, leads in, backed away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul on a pinnacle ball, throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there, and they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Got to give a quick shout out, by the way. Badger volleyball, I know a disappointing night last night. I fell asleep in the third set. It was getting kind of late for me. It didn't get started until about 8.10 or 8.15. It was the Women's Volleyball Tournament Final Four. We saw Nebraska win the early match, and then that would have set up, not that I'm a connoisseur of volleyball by any stretch of the imagination, although I do stand by a statement we made earlier in the year on this podcast. I do think that given how exciting that game is and how fast-paced, and that to me is the key, We've got a generation of kids coming up now that are born and raised in social media, born and raised in the TikTok era. They consume content in 20-second chunks. If you send them a YouTube video that's longer than a minute and 15 seconds, they're out. The pace of volleyball, I think, is going to help it continue to grow by leaps and bounds the next 10 to 15 years. But I am not an expert in any way, shape, or form. I do enjoy, though, rooting for any Badger team. And this has been a program now that has been a consistent winner and a national champion two years ago, almost a national champion last year, right? They lost in the championship game or or in the Final Four last year. Back in the Final Four this year against the defending national champions, Texas, lost the first set, won the second set. I watched that, and then I said, I assume they are going to win this (laughs) this entire match. I go to bed assuming they're going to win. I drifted off in set number three. I woke up very early and was on Twitter and saw that Texas kind of dominated the last few sets. But shout out to that team again. Another year where ratings went up, attendance was up. That Nebraska, the two Nebraska Badger matchups were just clean sellouts, packed to the rafters, $300 tickets on the secondary market. That sport continues to grow, and I think it is going to continue to explode in the next 10 to 15, maybe even 20 years. But shout out to them. I know coming up short of where they were, I'm sure nobody on their team is listening to this, but in case they are on the off chance they are. It was a fun year to watch where I could watch, and when you get that deep into it and you're knocking on the door of a national championship, certainly you get more casual eyes like mine on the match, and that was the case last night. Just came up a little bit short in the Final Four, but another really successful year for that program. Let's jump into, should we start with Giannis Gates? What a situation at Pfizer Forum on Wednesday. 
We thought that there was going to be a little edge to this game. Pacers are an up-and-coming team. Tyrese Halliburton is an up-and-coming superstar. They've got, it seems like, all the right parts around them. They are the number one offense, and appropriately for their name, the Pacers, they are the fastest pace offense in the league. Not very good defensively. There are still some rough edges there they're trying to smooth out. It feels like that team, like we talked about, whatever day it was, Friday last week, or maybe right after the in-season tournament loss, it feels like they are the Bucks of 2017 or 2018. They're just about to take a step where they're going to be winning maybe 44, 45, 46 games, threatening a team in the playoffs. They're a step before maybe the big step where you win 50 games and you win a playoff series or two and you're pushing toward the Eastern Conference Finals. They're not that far off. And Rick Carlisle, who is a champion, was a champion with the Mavericks and had so many successful years there. He actually started in Indiana, didn't he? Not as an assistant, but he was a head coach in Indiana and then went to Dallas and won a title with Dirk. He seems like a perfect fit for that team, a good blend of relatability, but also NBA experience and the championship pedigree and that big old ring he can bust out whenever he needs to with a very young team. They feel like they've got all of the parts, and the Bucs lost to them in Indiana earlier this year. Giannis dropped a double nickel in that game, 55 points. The Bucs lost by two. They lost in the in-season tournament. We know how that game ended. Bucks had a collapse of a fourth quarter late. We saw Tyrese Halliburton knock down the dagger shot, and then he chirped Dame a little bit by doing the pointing to his fake wristwatch, Dame time. There's just a lot of trash talk going back and forth in that game. Say what you want about the in-season tournament and whether or not you think it was a success. I think it was obviously a success. How big of a success, I'm not really sure. They're going to tweak it and make some changes as they head into the next couple years. Whatever your feelings on it are, though, this rivalry and what happens on Wednesday at Pfizer Forum does not happen if these two teams don't meet in Vegas in the semifinals and the result plays out the way that it did. Bucks 0-2 against this team, and I speculated a little bit on Monday's podcast. I'm just curious to see how they're going to treat this Pacer team on Wednesday. You've still got a Bucks team that is a title-contending team that just won a championship two years ago. They're kind of not the old guard, but, you know, they're the veteran. They've been through the wars. And they're trying to get back there again. And then you've got this young little puppy dog <laughs> chirping at them and biting at their legs and kind of agitating the old dog, the veteran dog. I felt like the Bucks were going to try to make a statement on Wednesday and just pat this dog down a little bit and say, hey, take it easy. You're not there yet. You are not there yet. Make a statement on Wednesday. They came out, and the Pacers were out early to an early lead. Tyrese Halliburton, who is a Wisconsin guy who won a state title at Oshkosh North, said he had 2,000 tickets. I couldn't tell if he was being hyperbolic with that or if he actually had 2,000 people. I mean, he's a hometown kid, and he's what now, a top 15, at least top 20, top 15 guy in the NBA. It would stand to reason he would have a ton of people at that game. He said 2,000 people were there to see him at Pfizer. And the tone was set early in the first quarter. Halliburton threw a dunk down on I don't remember who. Halliburton flexed on that player briefly. And as he was making his way back up the court, Giannis was standing there. And Giannis, two-time MVP, defensive player of the year, finals MVP champion, I don't think he took too kindly to the trash talk the Pacers had for them in Vegas last week. Don't think he took too kindly to the way Halliburton was flexing on a first-quarter dunk. Halliburton was going to rub up against his shoulder, and Giannis gives him an ice-cold shoulder, forearm shiver, and knocked him down on his ass. And it was one of those where in the initial act of it happening, Lisa Byington on the Bally Sports broadcast said, oh, Giannis was just standing there. I think he just kind of ran into him. And then you see the replay from the baseline, and yes, Giannis was standing there, but he definitely throws that elbow out a little bit. Hey, hey, young buck, and he throws him down. That set the tone, and then these two teams were just jaw-jacking the entire night. Giannis was getting whatever he wanted, and we'll get to the record coming up, the single-game Bucks scoring record. He finally got past Michael Redd. There's a really cool video. I guess I could have loaded it up. There's a really cool video in 2021. I forget when it was. I think Giannis had a 50-point night and looked like he could get to the record, 57 points that Michael Redd set in 2006, appropriately in a loss. That is so perfect, and it's poetic for the – Michael Red Bucks era that he would have this phenomenal night, this otherworldly night where he scores 57 points. And if you go back and watch the game tape or the highlights of that game, 
not only did they not win, that 57 points barely kept them in striking distance. They closed the gap late but lost that game. Michael Red sets a record and the Bucks lost. 2006 in a nutshell right there. But there's a video of Michael Red congratulating Giannis in 2021 on whatever game he had, 51, 52, 53 points. And as Giannis is walking away, he says to him, one day I'm going to get you. One day I'm going to have that kind of a night, and I'm going to get that record. And Red said, I know you will. I know you will. It was kind of a cool moment and that you saw that video come back on Twitter after Giannis set the record on Wednesday. You cut to the fourth quarter where Giannis already is knocking on the door of 50, a 50-burger. He's in the lane, and it's Aaron Neesmith who they used effectively as a one-on-one defender for Giannis in the in-season tournament matchup. He was defending Giannis. Giannis is going up for yet another dunk or layup, and he basically got body slammed. He kind of took him, got under his shoulder, and threw him down. That led to Bobby, 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 Bobby Portis going wide-eyed. And he's always wide-eyed, but when he's angry, he's even more wide-eyed. Bobby Portis just cut loose. He didn't even wait a second. This is the kind of guy you need. What do they call him in hockey? There's a name for it. There's a term for it in hockey. It's not a goon. What is the name of it? An enforcer. Where that player on any NHL team, he's okay. That player is serviceable in some ways, but that player is on a team to protect that team star player. I remember the Pittsburgh Penguins for many years with Sidney Crosby. I forget the guy's name, but he was always on the same line as Sidney Crosby. So if any team messed with Crosby, if any team tried to cross-check him or hit him in the head or high-stick him, that enforcer was there, and he was in there the second anything happened to the star player. That's Bobby. Now, Bobby has the added benefit of being a very good player, and he's had a great week after the in-season tournament. He was terrible in that game. Then there was the report of the vocal altercation between him and AG, Adrian Griffin. He's been great since then. Shooting percentages way up, playing better defense. He got on there in a second, in a heartbeat to mix it up. They also had video of the Nasses jumping off the bench. It was one of those classic, hold me back, hold me back, hold me back. And Jay Crowder held him back. Otherwise, it looked like the Nasses were going to get in there too. That ends up in a mini dust-up, fracas, Donnie Brook, whatever you want to call it. No punches thrown, but a lot of trash talk. I would have been very curious to be sitting baseline and hearing what was actually being said. They finally got Bobby back to the bench, and then somebody must have said something again, and Bobby again turned and was heading even louder and more wide-eyed to the Pacer bench. This is the tone that was getting set the entirety of the night. Eventually, Bobby would get ejected. Not for that. He got a flagrant, or he got a technical in that instance. Naismith got a flagrant, and then about two minutes later, Bobby got a second technical and was ejected, and the whole crowd was going nuts again. Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. Then the attention turned to Giannis knocking on the door of breaking this record, and he was sitting at 54-55. There were about five minutes left, and the Bucs were up double digits when Rick Carlisle took a lot of his starters out, and he waved the white flag. And even Marcus Johnson on the Bally Sports broadcast, when Jordan Wara, former Buck, now Indiana Pacer, who was a deep bench player for the Bucs and is a very deep bench player for the Pacers, they put Wara in at about the five-minute mark, <laughs> and God bless Marcus Johnson. He sees Jordan Wara and says, well, that's it. Rick Carlisle's waving the white flag. Jordan is in the game. The Bucks, though, and Adrian Griffin left their starters in. This is where I think we start to see some of the seeds of what happened after the game getting sown. I don't think the Pacers or Rick Carlisle loved that the Bucks kept their guys in when he was putting his deep bench players in, but in the Bucks' defense... This was not a decided game. It was an 11 or 12-point game. It's not out of the realm of possibility with four and a half, then five minutes. That's an eternity in the NBA. We saw last year the Bucs in Toronto. They had like a 16-point lead with two minutes left, and they almost lost that game. I think they did lose the game in overtime. We just saw this happen a couple of times last year. This was not a signed, sealed, delivered game yet. He left his starters in, and then Giannis got to 56 And he was about to sub out, and Giannis said that after the game. He was about to go grab a seat, and Griffin went up to him and said, hey, one of his stat guys must have told him, you're a basket away from breaking this Bucs record. Stay in there, get it, and then we'll get you out. And he did that. I think he got it on two free throws. It was a big free throw night for Giannis. He had two free throws. He gets to 58. They take him out of the game with about three minutes left. They put the deep bench players in. Unfortunately for the Bucs, the deep bench players couldn't hold a 20-point lead. It was a 20-point lead. That got down to 10 in a minute. See what I'm saying? These leads can evaporate in the NFL like a Snapchat video. It gets down to 10, and you've got a minute 57 left, so Adrian Griffin said, okay, we got to put our guys back in. Puts Giannis back in. He immediately scores six more points. He gets to 64 points on the night. We're going to break that down more in a second. 
that just blows my mind that we're seeing a Milwaukee Buck player yet another chapter in things that Giannis does that I can barely wrap my mind around. He scores 64. Then the game is decided. They win 140 to 126, get the W. Now, Giannis setting a Bucks record, of course, is interested in wanting to have the game ball to commemorate it, to save it, to autograph it, or he said give it to his mom. He always gives the big game balls from big games he has to his mom in honor of his late father. He's looking for the game ball. There are so many videos of this now after it's been broken down a million times. There is a video right at as the buzzer sounds where it looks like a Bucks security guard does grab the ball from the lead official. Somehow, this game ball ends up in the hands of a Pacer assistant coach. And one of the last videos I saw on this that we put on the blog yesterday, you can see Giannis and Middleton are over there and Halliburton's over there, and this assistant coach is a few steps off, and he's got the ball in his hands, and Giannis is telling him, we want that ball, we want that ball, you better give us that ball. And the guy kind of smirks at him and then walks off with the ball. That's when all hell breaks loose. Giannis storms after him, and it's into that gate. All the fans are still there celebrating Giannis in this historic moment. But then everybody whips out their cell phone camera because he took off in a manner where you just knew it was heated. The Nasses followed him. Marjan followed him. Jay Crowder followed him. And then the video at the end of the locker room where the Pacers were shows and proves this was the Pacers being petty. They were angry at the foul calls probably in the game. They were, as the kids say, butthurt about him staying in the game that long just to get the record at their expense. And they took the ball. Rick Carlisle tried to play this off in his postgame presser like, oh, you know, it's a simple misunderstanding. We had one of our guys scored his first career point, which this guy apparently scored a point in the in-season tournament championship game. But because it was the in-season tournament championship game, those stats don't count for some reason. He scored a point on a free throw. I can't even pronounce the guy's name. He scored a point on a free throw at the end of this game on Wednesday. That was Carlisle's excuse. He said, we always do that when one of our guys scores their first point. We get him the game ball. That's what we were doing. It was a simple misunderstanding. And then he said he said that his GM was back there and he has bruised ribs now because a Bucks player ran into him. That was the fastest diagnosis of bruised ribs. Does Rick Carlisle have a medical degree? That literally just happened. He was doing his postgame presser and he already diagnosed him with bruised ribs. Maybe a cracked rib. Could be a cracked rib too. We'll have to take a look at it. That was Rick Carlisle's excuse. But the video proves that's not true. As Bucks players were heading toward the tunnel to the Pacers locker, you have audio now of Miles Turner and a bunch of Pacers players saying, don't give him the ball. Do not give him the ball. This is our, don't give him the ball. Do not give it to him. And the Bucks players saying, give him the bleeping ball. And then they don't, don't do it. Giannis eventually runs back on the floor without the ball. And when he runs back out there, I'm not even lying when I say, I thought I heard this. I heard... <laughs> Giannis runs back on the floor, stone cold music, and he makes a beeline for another Pacer assistant coach. God, this is just, when this hit in 1999, my basement when I was watching Raw in 1999-2000, and this music hit or started the show or came out of nowhere, holy moly. But Giannis goes out there, and he goes up to another Pacer assistant coach, not the one that took the ball, and Tyrese Halliburton, who was still on the floor, I assume because he had so many people in attendance, he was maybe mixing up with them a little bit. Giannis is fuming, and he goes up to Tyrese Halliburton, and this was the biggest dad moment I've ever seen. He, he dadded him. He fathered him. He went up to him fully angry, pointing his finger, pointing it in his chest, and it reminded me of this scene, Gene Hackman in The Replacements, where he was talking to that linebacker. I need that ball. Give me the ball. Get me the ball. Get it. Need the ball. Get me the ball. Get you the ball. Are you going to get me the oh, ball? Oh, get you the oh, ball. Only Tyrese Halliburton did not respond like that. He was trying to, okay, okay, just chill out. Okay, fine. And Giannis just basically said, go get the bleeping ball and get out of here. At the end of the day, Giannis did a postgame on Bally where he was clearly still fired up and thinking about that. Then he did his postgame presser. AG basically did his postgame and said, I didn't even know what was happening. It looked like he got off the court pretty quickly, and it was news to him when he was sitting down and fielding questions from reporters. Then Giannis fielded some questions, and they asked him, did you get the ball? And he kind of said it seemed like he had cooled off a bit. And he said, I got a ball. I'm not sure if it's the game ball. And he said that... 
He thinks he knows what the ball felt like because they play with one ball. There are two technical game balls, by the way. They play with one, really, throughout the night. This isn't like Major League Baseball where they're throwing 1,500 different balls out during the course of the game. So I believe him when he says he's a MVP and he's been in the league for 10 or 11 years and he just used that game ball to drop 64 freaking points on this team. I assume he knows what that ball feels like. His contention was, this doesn't feel like the same ball, but I got a game ball. And then he went on to say he didn't even get the game ball from game six of the NBA Finals in 2021. It doesn't sound like he got the game ball. This just adds more fuel to a budding rivalry between these two teams. And I think it's good. I really do. I think this is good for the Bucs. As annoying as the Pacers were about the way they handled this and what they did with the game ball. And look, I mean, Giannis... Does he, does he need the game ball? Is he being a little petty too? Probably. But here's the thing. I like Giannis, so I will excuse his pettiness. I don't like the Pacers now or Halliburton or Miles Turner or any of those guys. So I will allow, I will allow the pettiness on Giannis' side. Does this really that big of a deal? No. But here's what I like about it. This seems to galvanize the Bucks. This rivalry now with the Pacers and how they lost in the in-season tournament, how they responded on Wednesday. If you watch the full game, too, I know it was a letdown from a Bucks fan perspective the way they had to put their starters back in late. Let's keep in mind who the scrubs were, though, for the Bucks and who they were for the Pacers. The Bucks are still down Connaughton. They're still down Jay Crowder. The guys that would have been in that game with some experience are not available to them. That was a letdown. The game, up until the point where the deep bench players got in, and up until the point where he had to take him back out and put the starters back in. This, to me, was one of the more complete performances in the Adrian Griffin era. We are starting to see the defense get together a little bit. They're middle of the pack now in the last few weeks. Giannis had four steals. Brooke Lopez had six blocks. They were able to shut Tyrese Halliburton down to an extent. I thought Dame Lillard played some great on-ball defense on Wednesday. Halliburton had 22 points and seven assists and a negative 14 plus minus. You'll take that every day of the week. So they played a good game. The offense with Giannis was obviously cooking. And now you get this galvanizing moment where this is still a team trying to find itself. This is a new superstar in Dame replacing Drew, and that's who they were comfortable with. And even though we all think this is going to end in a place where they're fighting for a title and winning 55 games and there'll be a one or two seed that's going to come down to them in the Celtics or whatever, we all think we're heading there. It's been a bit uneven, like we expected in the early months. They're still trying to work things out, build team chemistry. Sometimes it looks like Dame doesn't know where to be. Sometimes it doesn't look like Dame's super interested in the game. I think that might just be Dame, though. And the body language police, the Bucks fans' body language police have been out on Dame recently when he has a bad shooting game, which he has had the past few games. He also became the fifth all-time in NBA history in three-pointers made in that game on Wednesday. He passed Kyle Korver. Korver had a message on the Jumbotron. He does have kind of a passive look to him right now. They're still trying to work things out. But I think this stuff helps now. I think you now have a common enemy, and you're going through these experiences together. Anybody that's worked in any workplace knows that when you have somebody new come in, even though if it's a, if it's a perfect fit, if the resume is perfect, and this is going to take our company to the next level, you still have to go through things together. You have to go through meetings together. You have to go through business trips together. You have to build that chemistry and that commonality that's what we're seeing this team go through right now in the early stages in the first month and a half of the season. And things like this help. Rivalries help. A common enemy, somebody to point to, that helps. And you kind of felt this Bucks team come together with all of the different postgame pressers they did after the game ball incident on Wednesday. Let's just break down Giannis's game real quick. I mean, the only person that will ever break this now is Giannis. I can't envision any other Buck. although I guess Dame scored 70 a year or two ago. Giannis had 64 points, 64 on 20 of 28 shooting. His field goal percentage is 62%. His career best was 57, and I know that doesn't sound like a big leap, but if you're an NBA fan, 57%, even if you're living around the rim, which Giannis is most of the time, is an insane percentage. 62% is crazy, and they're not all dunks. We have seen his touch return around the rim. His touch around the rim from two to three feet away last year was not good. One of the worst of his career to the point where some NBA people on Twitter with blue check marks were saying, oh, I wonder if Giannis is starting to regress. He's getting to be almost 30 years old. He's not finishing at the rim the way he used to. Well, he took that personally, clearly. 62% shooting. 
And that only adds to it with 20 of 28 on Wednesday. 24 of 32 at the free throw line, 74%. He's shooting almost 78% in the last couple of weeks. He's been knocking down free throws with regularity. Some Pacers fans, and I'm sure the Pacer players had their panties in a bunch over how many free throws Giannis got. He should have had more. He should have had more than 32. I agree. I agree. It's crazy that Giannis got 32 free throw attempts because he should have had 45. Again, if you watch that game all the way through, the Pacers' plan is just to hack him every time and dare the officials to call. It's like in the NFL where a cornerback is outmatched by a wide receiver and they decide before the game, listen, I'm just going to get handsy. I'm going to hold every play. I'm going to interfere with the pass every play, and I'm going to dare an official to throw a flag on every play because the likelihood is that they're not going to throw a flag on every play, even if it is a penalty. That was the Pacers' strategy because they have no answer for Giannis. He scored 55 against them in Indiana. He scored 39 on 13 of 19 shooting in the in-season tournament. And then he scored 64 on Wednesday. This is why, ultimately, if these two teams meet up in a playoff series, I don't think I'm worried because even though Halliburton's up and coming and they have some weapons and they play with pace and that frustrates a veteran team like the Bucs, we saw that in Vegas with the hungover Bucks. At the end of the day, when you get to a playoff series and the Bucs are battle-tested and know how to ratchet up their intensity, they just don't have an answer for anybody in the middle. They have no answer for Giannis. They have no answer for Brooke. They have no answer for anybody in the paint. Giannis, if this is a seven-game series and it goes five or six games or five games or whatever, he's going to average like 45 points in this series. They don't have anybody that can defend him. It was ironic to me that the best defense Miles Turner played was at the end of the game with the game ball. That was the best defense that we saw out of the Pacers, and it was after the game and the final buzzer had sounded. With the win, the Bucks get to 17-7, and seven, and we've got all that drama now heading into their next matchup. That was my next step. When do these two teams play again? Because I want to watch it. They not only play in two weeks, they play back-to-back games, the final two regular season matchups between these two teams. So think of all of this added stuff now. They play in Milwaukee on New Year's Day, on January 1st, and then they play in Indiana two days later on January 3rd, with no game in between, obviously. The intensity of those matchups, I can't even imagine how revved up the crowds are going to be, how revved up the players are going to be. That is going to be a fever pitch in both of those games, and I'm excited. And this is all what the in-season tournament has done. Maybe the in-season tournament in and of itself isn't the most entertaining thing, but if it starts to do things like this and there's a ripple effect, and now I'm looking forward to January NBA games more than I normally would, maybe that's what the in-season tournament will be good for. Bucks are 17-7 and with that win, and now we'll see if they can keep that intensity for a more abound Pistons team on Saturday. I'm a little worried about this game. As bad as the Pistons are, the Pistons set a record. They are 2-22. and They have lost 21 games in a row. They are in Philly on Friday. Oh, they're on the second of a back-to-back. They're in Philly on Friday, then in Milwaukee on Saturday. This just is one of those games where you've got a terrible team and then you've got a veteran championship team and there's been this big emotional moment now on Wednesday. Can you bring that energy now for a team that's probably going to be 2-23 and with a 22-game losing streak coming to Pfizer Forum on Saturday? That should be an easy win. The Bucks will be like 15-point favorites in that game. Then the next day, tougher matchup, Houston, who has Ime Adoko as their coach now, former Celtics coach. That's a young team on the rise too. They are over 500. they They're surprising a lot of people this year. That's back-to-back Saturday, Sunday for the Bucks, And then we get our first look at Victor Wembignana on Tuesday at Fiserv Forum before a rematch with the Magic on Thursday. The homestand continues Saturday, Pistons 5 o'clock, Sunday, Rockets 6 o'clock as we're heading toward Christmas week. And the Bucks will be in New York for Christmas weekend. That's Saturday and then Christmas Day on Monday. All right, let's talk about the Packers. Packers and Buccaneers on the way on Sunday Can the Packers get up off the deck after a tough loss in New York on Monday? They failed their first test. We said that on Tuesday. Their first test as a young team expected to win a game. They were seven-point favorites, favorable final five games of their schedule. You just got that uneasy feeling early in the game on Monday. They played poorly for 85% of it. They almost stole it like we talked about. Saquon Barkley and the Giants tried to give them a gift. Please take this. I brought this gift for you. You know, the Peter Griffin. They're up in my bum. And they wouldn't take it. They got the touchdown, the go-ahead touchdown. Joe Barry's defense could not figure things out. Joe Barry during the week. Well, who did he blame? Carrington Valentine, I think. 
There was a question specifically about one of those plays on the final New York Giants drive where Carrington Valentine must have been 10 yards off of a receiver. And they asked Joe Barry after practice what was going on there. And I guess Joe Barry just said Valentine didn't get the call and it's hard to get the call to the far side cornerback or some some fugazi excuse. I don't know. It doesn't explain why they were in the zone before that, before they finally shifted to man once they got to midfield. Hey, by the way, guess who was the NFC Offensive Player of the Week in the NFL? Tommy DeVito. Bippity boppity. Tommy DeVito. That is, as I said in a group text, that is Joe Barry's opus right there. Of all of the failures of the Joe Barry era in Packer football and how bad those defenses have been in certain moments, that may be the top. That may be up there with any of the last, what, 10 to 15 years of poor Packer defensive performances. The fact that a third-string walk-on basically quarterback, Tommy DeVito, is the NFC Offensive Player of the Week. Just disgusting. Embarrassing. The good news for the Packers on the injury report this week is with Aaron Jones and it's with their wide receivers. Now, A.J. Dillon, I guess we found out, had a broken thumb and he broke his thumb in the fourth quarter and then played through it. They said at the end of practice yesterday, Thursday, or A.J. Dillon said they're going to try to find a way to wrap it up and then maybe he can get out there. Feels like ball security might be an issue. Again, I'm just a novice. Feels like if you have a wrap on your thumb as a running back, I, as a fan, am a little concerned about ball security on Sunday. The last thing you want is to put him out there and then two carries in, somebody pops that thing loose. You think, oh, God, why'd we do this? They're going to find some way to wrap that thing up where it's going to be unobtrusive, but also he's able to play. You know what they should give him? Remember when they gave Reggie White that big club on his right arm? I didn't watch the Reggie 30 for 30 yet, by the way. That was on Wednesday, the Reggie White 30 for 30. I've heard good things. I have heard as I expected because they build it as the good, the bad, and the ugly. Or There's some some reference to there may be some unsavory moments in this documentary. And I don't want that. I love Reggie. <laughs> I just want to I just want to love his legacy forever. And maybe there are some things now that you're not going to be in love with coming out of it. I didn't watch it yet. But remember, he broke his arm. I forget what year that was. And then we all thought, oh, God, he's going to be out forever. And they said, no, we're just going to wrap it up and he's going to play. And then they, he showed up on Sunday and they basically gave him a baseball bat attached to his arm. If you're the offensive tackle in that situation, what do you you can't give this guy a weapon. He's already one of the greatest defensive players of all time. Now you gave him a weapon. He's just bashing offensive tackles on the head, conking him on the head with that thing. Give A.J. Dillon the, the Reggie White weapon, the Reggie White arm bat. They'll try to find a way to make him usable on Sunday. The good news was Aaron Jones, they talked to him, and he said he's feeling as good as he's felt, and maybe he's going to have a chance to go. He's listed as questionable. The bigger news to me was Quay Walker was back at practice. You might get him back. The wide receivers. Remember, we talked about that on Tuesday, how this is already a thin room. It's a deep room if everybody's healthy, but now you're seeing a lot of guys sitting out with injury. You're not going to have Christian Watson. That's pretty much already been said for Sunday. I'd be surprised if we see him before the end of the year. When he went down, I texted my buddy Nick and I said, that's four to six. That's just, and knowing Christian Watson, we all like him and like what we've seen from him so far when he's been on the field and healthy. At this point, you have to say that he is an injury risk pretty much every time he's out there. And every time he goes down, I think two to four minimum. And that looked like a four to six situation. He is not going to be on the field, but you're already without him. You have no Luke Musgrave. You're already missing Aaron Jones. Maybe you get him back Sunday. Maybe you don't. Coming out of the Monday game, Dontavian Wicks, remember we said he told that reporter he bleeped up his ankle. And then Jaden Reed, who basically is your number one wide receiving weapon, maybe even when Watson's out there, he's your number one guy at this point. He was being evaluated for a concussion. He practiced and Wicks practiced. We were concerned, though, on Tuesday's podcast, if you don't have those two guys, you're looking at Romeo Dobbs and Malik Heath and Samari Toure as your one, two, three, and that Buccaneer defense is not bad. That secondary is not bad. Todd Bowles, for all of his faults as a head coach in the NFL, he always puts a pretty aggressive and productive defense on the field. Maybe if he gets fired at the end of the year, he could be the next Packer defensive coordinator. Maybe Bill Belichick. Sounds like Bill Belichick. That was a big piece of NFL news, too. It sounds like the Patriots and Bill Belichick are going to go their separate ways at the end of the year. Do you think he'd be interested in being the Packer defensive coordinator? That would be amazing. But with a thin wide receiving core against that defense, that was cause for concern heading into the weekend. But Wicks and Reed both practiced We'll see if they go. That was encouraging news, though, along with Aaron Jones and the Quay Walker news heading into the weekend. Packers are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Look, Tampa Bay 
They're a division leader. They are also 6-7. and seven. This is going to be a tough game. Baker Mayfield's played okay. As we said in the teaser, this will be the third straight year. That's got to be a record. Third straight year with a third different team that Baker Mayfield will be playing a December game at Lambeau Field. Remember, they played with the Browns on Christmas Eve in 2021 through four picks in that game. And the Packers only won by two, right? He handed that game to Green Bay. He was the starting quarterback for the Rams last year, and the Packers won that game, and now he's the starting quarterback for the Buccaneers. They have weapons. Mike Evans is still a weapon. A lot of those guys, or some of those guys from the 2020 NFC Championship game are still there in Tampa. This is not going to be an easy win, and as we said even before the Giants game, I don't think, even if they would have kept the progression going and gotten the win on Monday, I still don't think this is a Packer team, even as they're getting it together, that's going to blow anybody out, even if they're favored. It doesn't feel like they're going to win games by 10, 14, 21 points. They're just not at that stage of their development yet. You just want them to win. These are two pretty evenly matched teams. It also does renew that rivalry. I remember as a kid, that Packer-Buccaneer rivalry in the mid to late 90s, those were some good games those two teams played. Early 2000s, a little more annoying as the Buccaneers were better than Green Bay, and those games in Tampa especially were really tough for the Brett Favre Packers in 2000, 01, 02, those kind of years. When I was a kid, in the early part of my football viewing days, when the Buccaneers were in those awesome creamsicle jerseys, which I think I hated as a kid, but you're just an idiot as a kid. That's what I've learned. I've, everything I knew before I was 24 years old or 25 was basically dumb. Those jerseys are awesome. Somebody put a picture up in early December. It must have been the anniversary of the Snow Bowl or the Snow Globe game in 1985 between the Buccaneers and the Packers. And it's funny because there was so much snow in Green Bay the night before. When you get the crowd shots, there's like 50% of Lambeau Field is full because people couldn't get to the game. I'm sure in the mid-80s, not everybody was dying to go to that game anyway. But the snow prevented a lot of Packers season ticket holders from getting that game. The visual, though, of the Packers in the home greens and the Buccaneers in the away white creamsicle jerseys and all of the six inches of snow on the ground, it was just a beautiful picture of football. In the early part of my football viewing life, though, the Buccaneers were bad. Then they started to get good in the mid-90s, 95, 96, 97. Warren Sapp in the rivalry with Brett Favre, Warwick Dunn, and then who was the big fullback? What was his name? Mike Allstott. Remember Mike Allstott? And he had those huge fullback pads. He looked like a freezer. You have a stand-up freezer in your house somewhere? That was – look at the freezer. That's Mike – put a Mike Allstott. Put a 40 jersey on your stand-up freezer. That was Mike Allstott. Just running people over, lowering those gigantic shoulder pads. They had great defenses there for so many years. And, yeah, once the Packers got past their Super Bowl run, I think they beat Tampa in a divisional round game the year they went to the second of the Super Bowls with Favre when they went to the matchup with the Broncos and nothing bad happened, Super Bowl 32. I think they beat Tampa at Lambeau in the divisional round of that year, and Trent Dilfer was still their quarterback. Then the early 2000s, when the Buccaneers won their Super Bowl, Brad Johnson was their quarterback, and that defense was so good, and they were shutting people down left and right. That Tampa 2 defense that nobody could figure out. Brett Favre was throwing five interceptions a game against that Tampa 2 defense. And then they were better than the Packers for a while. It's been a pretty good rivalry, an old NFC Central rivalry. And then, of course, the latest chapter, significant chapter, I guess, was the Tom Brady, Buccaneers, and Scotty Miller and that whole deal, the 2020 NFC Championship game. Wah. They renew the rivalry, though, on Sunday. It'll be a noon kickoff. I think you can still get tickets under 100 bucks if you wanted to go check that out. You could do that. Let's hope the Packers get a win. As we said on Tuesday, right now, like it was going into Monday's game, they are the seventh seed in the NFC. They control their destiny if they win their final four games. Not saying they are, but if they were to, they would be in. I think you have to get this one at home, and I think you have to get Carolina, obviously, a one-win right now Carolina team at their place, which is scary, but at their place on Christmas Eve. You win these next two games, get to 8-7, and seven, get above 500. We'll see how the rest of the bottom of the NFC falls off or bits itself together maybe by the end of the year. It feels to me like if you win on Sunday, you go to Carolina, you don't have a letdown on Christmas Eve, me talking to myself in the mirror, don't let yourself down, John. Don't let yourself down, Packers. You get to 8-7, and seven, and based on the way the bottom of the NFC has been looking, you might be at a point then where you just need to win one of your final two to get in. That You might be able to split those. You'd love to win all of them. There are two rivalry games at Minnesota, at home against Chicago. I think if you win these next two, just with the way the bottom of the NFC is playing, once we would get to 8-7 and seven and you've got the last two games of the regular season, you might be in a spot where you could split those and still get in as the final seed in the NFC. 
It is a noon kickoff on CBS, a rare NFC-NFC matchup on CBS. Packers right now three-and-a-half-point favorites. The over-under is 42. We'll be talking about that in a little bit. Let's touch on Badger football really quickly. This transfer portal thing, they've got to figure this out. They've got to figure out a different way to do this. I understand players getting paid. I understand wanting to give the players more power. There are so many people coming and going. If you're the fan of a team, and I know you root for the front of the jersey and not the back of the jersey, I get all that. You as a fan of a team or a program, you'd like to have some idea of who the guys are going to be on the team. And we've got a lot of time between now and next fall, obviously, where you could learn that in the spring game and in the summer leading up to it. It just feels like everybody's losing half their team. You're bringing some guys in. You're losing some guys. Then some guys seem like they're coming, but they're not coming. They get back in the portal. They've got to find a way to tweak the portal. Packers do get a quarterback in the portal. University of Miami transfer Tyler Van Dyke is on its way to Madison. And I was excited about that for about .2 seconds when I was on Twitter and I saw the news. I clicked on one of the pictures of that news, went into the comment section, and every Miami fan was saying, good luck. (laughs) Then all of a sudden, I didn't feel as good about it. He was a three-year starter in Miami. The overall numbers are good. He has 54 touchdowns, almost 7,500 yards passing. Now, his best year, he had three offensive coordinators in three years. He had an offensive coordinator in 2021, a new one in 2022, a new one in 2023. It is difficult, probably, to find any kind of consistency when you're a college kid trying to learn a different system every other year. His best year at Miami was his second year, 2021, and he was in a spread offense that we assume is similar to what ultimately Fickle and Longo want to run in Madison, the Dairy Raid or the Air Raid. And that year, he had almost 3,000 yards, 25 touchdowns, and six picks at Miami. Kind of Mordecai numbers, but Mordecai put those up at SMU and not Miami. Then he dipped off in 2022, 10 touchdowns, 5 picks. This past year, 19 touchdowns, 12 picks. A lot of interceptions. And he was benched for a freshman by the end of the year. If he can get back into the spread system where he saw all of that success in 2021, and that's the kind of system that Longo's going to try to run, maybe he can get back to that. He does just add to the room, though. Nick Evers, I don't know what to make of him at this point. We were so excited. That was the first four-star transfer. He couldn't beat out Miles Burkett. He didn't get a look at all last year. Braden Locke showed some signs and then kind of fell off and then showed some signs. He'll be in the mix. And now Tyler Van Dyke, I would say, given of all the quarterbacks they have currently, with his experience and the numbers he's put up at a major program, he's probably the clubhouse leader to be your starter next year unless something else happens. It does just add more talent to that room, though. He's six foot four. But I saw that and I thought, ooh, a Miami transfer. Ooh, 54 touchdowns. That, that was the headline. I thought, okay. And then I clicked on him, and and the the Miami Hurricane fans could not have been more bearish on Tyler Van Dyke. And that took a little bit of the starch out of how excited I was. That was news this week as the transfer portal just continues to open and close, open and close, open. Like if you have a kid and they're in and out of the house in summer, screen door open, screen door open. That's what's happening with the transfer portal right now. Real quick, we'll touch on some college hoops. Both of Marquette and Wisconsin were in action last night. The only two ranked teams. They were the only two top 25 teams playing. Number seven, Marquette, they had to eke one out against St. Thomas, Minnesota. Now, the Johnnies were 6-4 and four going into last night. Not a ton of stiff competition, though. Marquette had a 12-point halftime lead. Had to hang on, though. One of those games where they just couldn't put them away. They do get an 84-79 to 79 victory. I'm not sure how much you really glean from that. Oga Igadaro had 21 points. Kolek had an okay game. He sealed it with free throws at the end. Marquette, 9-2. They are unbeaten at Fiserv Forum, and now they get set for a conference play. They will begin that at Providence on Tuesday, next week, Tuesday. Meanwhile, the Badgers at home against Jacksonville State, kind of a grinder at an eight-point halftime lead and just sort of had to peel it away at the end with free throws. They win 75-60. to Stephen Crowell had a nice game. Badgers get to 8-3, and and now they have a long time off. They are not going to play again until next Friday. I assume finals have an impact on that. I don't think they can play finals week. They will have Chicago State at Pfizer, Pfizer Formic at the Cole Center next Friday, heading into Christmas weekend. Then they're off until the day after New Year's Day, January 2nd, at home against Iowa in their second conference matchup. Kind of a subplot of last night was Connor Asijin. It's been weird, hasn't it, Badger fans? And this was a major topic on Twitter during the game last night. Connor Asijin was so good as a freshman, scoring. Not good defensively, which is one of the reasons he's not playing right now. So good scoring, though. It is rare in the Bo Ryan, especially the Dick Bennett, Bo Ryan, Greg Gard era for a freshman to get any playing time, 
let alone the amount that Asijin got last year, let alone to average double figures at Wisconsin as a freshman. He averaged 11 points per game, 40% shooting from beyond the arc. Then at the beginning of this year, he was not in rotation, and people kind of thought it was a back injury, but he's healthy now, and he just continues to play a handful of minutes every night. He did not get in the game yesterday until the 16-minute mark of the second half, and the crowd gave a standing ovation when he got in because they were happy to see him, see him get some minutes. And the first defensive possession, his guy, the guy he was defending, blew right past him for a layup, and guard took him out after 20 seconds, and the crowd booed. That's what guard is talking about. Now, is Greg Gard being a little too hard on Connor Asijin? Maybe. They said after the game that the best thing they can do for Connor is keep him accountable. They are essentially pointing out in the media, and I'm sure they've told him too, until you can defend, until you can be physical, until you can move your feet, you're not going to be out there. And if a guy from, no offense to whatever, Jacksonville State, if a Jacksonville State guy is blowing by him the way he did last night, you can only imagine what's going to happen when you match up with number three Purdue or number 15 Illinois and how that's going to go in a conference game. They just don't trust him out there defensively. Would you argue if you are in favor of having Connor Siegen out there because of the offense, you could make a case, and some did on Twitter last night, well, Jacksonville State would be a good time to get him a couple minutes. Instead of pulling him in 20 seconds, let him play for five minutes and see if he can show you something. Maybe it was just one bad mistake and he can be better for the next two or three minutes. Give him a chance. They don't seem to want to do that. That was sort of a side story with last night's game as the Badgers get a 75-60 to win. They are 8-3, and 1-0 already with that win at Michigan State in conference play. Again, Chicago State at the Kohl Center on Friday. All right, let's make some picks. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Never tell me the odds. If someone gives you 10,000 to 1 on anything, you take it. That's a cool G, Daddy. Oh, now you got to let it ride. All right, our first losing week in a long time. We only had three picks last week with no college football. We went one and two in our NFL picks. We are still 14 units up, people. 43, 29, and three. It is bowl season. Let me just take a look. Now, I have to give a shout-out to one of my best buddies from college, Nick. He, last year, I was talking to him about something gambling-wise, and we were talking about all these college bowls and how I'm just losing money on these bowl games because they're always on. And this time of year when I have vacation, like, for instance, the first bowl game of the year is this Saturday at 10 a.m. I'm up at that hour now easily. I'm up. I'm almost taking a nap at that point. If there's a game on at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday, and I, you know, I'm, we're talking about Saturday to start this, but bowl games are every day. I'm going to have a bunch of time to burn next week or once we get to Christmas week. If I turn the TV on at 10 a.m. on December 26th and there's a game, I'm betting that game. And I don't even know really what the two teams did that year. I have no idea who's even playing for those teams. If you just look at the records and you pick based on that, well, in this era of the transfer portal and who's playing the bowl and who left the team already or who's coming into the team, are they playing already? You don't know, but you just want to bet on it because it's on and you lose money that way. And my buddy Nick said, well, I should just get you in our bowl challenge. We do whatever it is, a $100 entry fee, and you pick a winner for all 64 bowl games, and you put confidence points on them. And then at the end of the thing, whoever has the most points, they pay out first, second, and third. I thought, thank you. (laughs) This may save me from myself. I'm not promising it's going to save me from myself. I can still see myself betting on some of these games individually. But now, if I turn on whatever it is, Liberty at Georgia Southern at 11 a.m. on a Wednesday during Christmas week, at least I will have made a pick in that game. And if I have a lot of confidence points on it, maybe that will be enough so that I can avoid putting money on the spread or on a winner or on the over-under. We'll see. I will report back at the end of bowl season and let you know if that was successful. I do think that will sidetrack me enough where I'm not going to bet on the dumber games that I normally bet on. I am very happy to be a part of that bowl challenge that he got me involved in. But it does start this Saturday. First game, 10 a.m. Saturday, Georgia Southern against Ohio. I don't know, the Myrtle Beach Bowl. 11 a.m., Howard versus an 11-1 Florida A&M. The Cricket Celebration Bowl. Jacksonville State, the football version. The basketball team played at the Kohl Center last night. The football team takes on Louisiana in the R&L Carriers New Orleans Bowl. Miami of Ohio plays Appalachian State. New Mexico State plays Fresno State. UCLA, Boise State. California takes on Texas Tech and the Radiance Technologies Independence Bowl. That's all Saturday. I am excited and hopeful that this bowl challenge I'm involved in now will uh, help me avoid actually betting on these bowl games. 
Let's make some NFL picks. It is the first week of Saturday games, as we talked about on Tuesday, and I like some of these Saturday games. How about the Raiders last night? 63 points on the Chargers. That's a Raider team that lost 3-0 on Sunday. Last Sunday, they lost 3-0 to the Vikings. Then they score 63, and Aiden O'Connell throws for four touchdown passes. We've seen a 70-point game and a 63-point game in the NFL this year. The I'm going to bet two games on Saturday, and I may throw in a three-team outright winner parlay on this. I like the Bengals at home, minus three against the Vikings. Vikings, I think, are going with Nick Mullins now as their starting quarterback, and Josh Dobbs, that experiment ended almost as quickly as it started. Nick Mullins, career journeyman, who has won some games. It's in Cincinnati. I kind of like this Jake Browning kid who's taken over for Joe Burrow. I don't know what the prognosis is on Joe Burrow or a timetable on his return, but the way Browning is playing, it makes me feel like he's going to keep the Bengals afloat long enough to maybe get Burrow back, and then in the final two weeks, if Burrow can win two games, they maybe get in as the six or seven seed in the AFC. I like the Bengals minus three at home against the Vikings. Vikings defense is awesome. I would love for Brian Flores to be in Green Bay as the defensive coordinator for the Packers. I don't think that's going to happen. Vikings have a good defense. I just don't see how they're going to score. Bengals also have a good defense. And I like Browning. Mixon is healthy. Jamar Chase is healthy. I will take the Bengals minus three. I think they're going to win by 10+. plus. I am also going to take the second game Saturday. Colts at home against the Steelers. I don't see how the Steelers score with Mitch Trubisky. I just don't see it. Colts are at home on the fast track. Still no Jonathan Taylor, but Zach Moss has been good as their tailback. Gardner Minshew has been good enough. It's a one and a half point spread. Basically, you're looking at a coin flip game. An outright winner, I will take the Colts minus one and a half. And I do think, I think all the home teams are going to win on Saturday. Bengals at home, Colts at home. The night game is Broncos, and they're fighting for the final spot in the AFC playoff picture. Broncos at Detroit. Lions have been so uneven. It would be... It would be such a collapse for them to win the division or lose the division. If the Packers would have won that game on Monday and kept their trajectory trending upwards, I might have been able to talk myself into them getting back in the division race only two games back if they would have won on Monday. Now that they lose, I don't think the Vikings are going to catch the Lions. And then three games back, it would be highly improbable for the Packers to catch the Lions, even if they won their final four games. Lions have been up and down the last four weeks. I expect them in prime time at home hearing those whispers about, oh, maybe they're not for real. Or or you hear a lot now, well, they'll get in the playoffs, but we're not going to pick them to win a playoff game because they're just on a downward slide. I think they're hearing that. I think they'll take care of the Broncos. I'm going to do, I think, a home team parlay Bengals, Colts, and Lions all to win. Just outright winners. Bengals, Colts, and Lions. All of them have to happen for it to pay. Right now, that would pay plus 275. I think I may do that on Saturday's games. I, I like all the home teams. But for the purposes of this podcast, Bengals minus three, Colts minus one and a half. I am going to take the Browns at home minus three against the Bears. Bears are feeling themselves a little bit given the way they played against Detroit. That Brown defense, though, is so good and so aggressive and physical. Justin Fields looked good against the Lions defense. I do not anticipate that happening on the road against a top five defense in the league. I realize the Browns have been scuffling a bit, but now they've got Flacco, who looks pretty good as their quarterback. He's going to be the starter the rest of the year. I like that. He actually looks better than Deshaun Watson. How old is Flacco? 38 years old? Who would have thought? Joe Flacco in a Browns jersey at the end of the year. That has given that Browns offense a jolt, though, and I just don't see the Bears scoring a ton on that Browns defense. I will take the Browns minus three, and I am going to take a Packer bet, not on them to win or the spread. I'm going to take the over. The over-under is 42 total points. I expect the Packers to be in that 20-ish range, and I expect Joe Barry's defense to give up in the 20-ish range, and that should put you close. That should put you close to 42, a 24-20 kind of game. So we'll take that too. Colts minus one and a half, Bengals minus three, Browns minus three, Packers and Buccaneers over 42 total points, and then, yeah, if you want to, unofficial Colts, Bengals, Lions, Moneyline Parlay on Saturday. That'll do it for us here on your Friday. We'll get back after it on Monday, Christmas week. We'll hopefully have a victory Monday for you and break that all down coming out of the Tampa Bay-Green Bay matchup on Sunday. Have a happy, safe weekend. We'll chat with you then.